It's the Sound Kitchen. Mmm, yummy. It's the Sound Kitchen. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Uh, you're listening to the Sound Kitchen. Mm, yummy. And Susan Owensby's cooking. everyone, bienvenue and welcome to The Sound Kitchen, where you never know what you'll be served. I'm Susan Owensby. It's Saturday the 8th of May, the 128th day of the year in the Gregorian calendar. Are you well? I do hope so. Today is a holiday in France, le 8 May, the 8th of May, because this is the day my daughter was born 19 years ago. Just kidding. Well, she was born on this day 19 years ago, and although it's a family joke about that being the reason for the holiday, the true reason is it's VE Day, Victory in Europe. This is the day France and its World War II allies celebrate the formal acceptance of Germany's unconditional surrender of its armed forces in 1945, marking the end of World War II in Europe. You can imagine the celebrations here in the European allied countries, in the UK and in North America. Wow. Even Elizabeth, England's queen, who was a young woman of 19 at that time, and her sister Margaret were allowed to wander around in the cheering crowds in London. Incognito, of course. I've talked to older French people who remember that day. Here in Paris, the Champs-Élysées was overflowing with people cheering, crying, kissing. Occupied by the Germans, it'd been a long, hard road for them. My French grandmother, who had a farm outside Paris, housed American officers. She told me stories of their beautiful manners and of playing piano for hands with them. My mother-in-law, her daughter, was just a little girl in pigtails, waving an American flag as the U.S. tanks went by, just like the scenes you see in movies. She said the soldiers would take her on their knees, sing funny songs to her, but wouldn't give her any chewing gum, which was unheard of in France because she was too young. She has never forgotten that her big brothers got some, though. I like to think of my birth country, the U.S., on the right side of history. It's certainly not always the case, but here we were noble and good. Even if U.S. soldiers didn't give my French mother-in-law any chewing gum. You're listening to The Sound Kitchen on RFI. I'm busy making shows featuring your musical requests. So if there's a piece of music you'd like to hear, send it on in. Bombard me and tell me why you like the particular piece of music, okay? That makes it even more interesting for us all. Send your musical requests to the Sound Kitchen at rfi.fr. That's the Sound Kitchen, all one word, no spaces, at rfi.fr. Are you ready? Do hope so. You best be, because it's time for the quiz. On the 10th of April, I asked you a question about the lavish Pharaoh parade that was held earlier that week in Cairo, Egypt. Woo, was that ever a spectacle? 
There were specially built gold-colored carriages fitted with special shock absorbers made especially for the parade of 22 Egyptian pharaohs. There was a symphony orchestra and chorus, chariots, and, of course, women and men dressed as priests and priestesses. And the pièce de résistance, the 22 golden carriages. It was a thing to behold. It's definitely worth your while to look for it on the internet and watch the whole ceremony. The mummified remains of the pharaohs were being moved to their new home, the brand new National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. It's not too far from their previous home, the Egyptian Museum, which doesn't have state-of-the-art temperature control and all the other technical necessities for preserving antiquities. The new museum does. I can't wait to see it, but I'll miss the dusty old Egyptian museum where you never knew what you'd find when you turned the corner. Anyway, I asked you to send me the answer to these questions. Who is the oldest pharaoh transported in last month's parade to the new museum in Cairo? What is his name and what were the dates of his reign? You were also to tell me, out of the 22 mummies moved, how many were kings and how many were queens? 18 were kings and 4 were queens. The name of the oldest mummy is Sequinere Tau II, called The Brave. He reigned over southern Egypt some 1,600 years before the Christian era. Scholars think he came to power in the decade ending in 1560 BCE, or perhaps in 1558 BCE. The mummy of Sequinero Tau II has five massive head wounds, which he received in the battle which killed him. What was the battle all about? Well, my very own personal research librarian, listener Jayanta Chakrabarti from New Delhi, India, was also curious about all this and did a bit of research and sent me a letter about his findings, which then led me into more research. Jayanta discovered, and I quote, During 1650 to 1550 BCE, the Hyksos rulers had invaded and occupied the Nile Delta in northern Egypt. Sequinrao Tau II was intent on unifying Egypt to drive out the Hyksos. He died in the attempt. But who were the Hyksos? I did a bit of amateur sleuthing on the web, and of course, as with all ancient history, we can never be sure, and scholars disagree all the time. But what I did discover excited me to no end. One thing everyone agrees on is that the Hyksos people were Semitic people from the Levant. But listen to this. Scholars believe that the story of the Hyksos in Egypt and their subsequent defeat and expulsion from the country was the inspiration for the stories in Genesis and Exodus, key stories from the Torah or the Hebrew Bible about the Jews in Egypt and their flight across the Red Sea. Fascinating, no? I love finding the sources of our myths and stories. And it seems that this tiny bit of known history is the source for perhaps the most important story in the development of monotheism. I hope I haven't bored you. I find this completely fascinating. Thanks, Jayanta. Jayanta also added in his letter that one of the queens in Egypt's recent pharaoh parade was Queen Hatshepsut, touted as Egypt's most powerful and successful pharaoh to rule Egypt. 
Hatshepsut came to the throne of Egypt in 1478 BCE. She was the second historically confirmed female pharaoh and is also known as the first great woman in history of whom we are informed. The winners of this week's quiz are... Jobayada Akhtar Jai, a member of the Nilshagor RFI fan club in Nilfamari, Bangladesh, and RFI listeners club member Samir Mukhopadhyay from Kolkata, India. Samir included a note with his quiz response. He said that the question allowed him the opportunity to visit Luxor, Giza, and the Nile in the mirror of my mind. Me too, Samir. On the lucky list of winners this week, there are also RFI Listeners Club members Ilyas Fakri from Pekanbaru, Indonesia, Kashil Khalil from Fazalabad, Pakistan, and RFI English listener Kriparam Kaga from Rajasthan, India. Congratulations to this week's winners, and thanks to each and every one of you who wrote in. I have a question for you this week about Napoleon Bonaparte, the French military commander who crowned himself emperor in 1804. This year marks the bicentennial of his death while in exile on the remote island of St. Helena. RFI English journalist Sarah Ells has created a wonderful report on Bonaparte's final years on St. Helena for the Spotlight on France podcast she produces with Allison Hurd every other week and which is really good. You shouldn't miss even one episode. This week, Sarah also published an article on our website drawn from her Spotlight on France reportage. The article is called The Human Side of Napoleon on St. Helena, One of the Most Remote Places on Earth. What I want you to do is to read the article, better yet, listen to the podcast, and answer me this. What is the name of the house on St. Helena where Napoleon died? Again, listen to Sarah Els's reportage on the Spotlight on France podcast. I've posted it on all the Sound Kitchen and Club Facebook pages. Or read her article, The Human Side of Napoleon on St. Helena, one of the most remote places on Earth, and write in with the name of the house on St. Helena where Napoleon Bonaparte lived in exile and where he died. The podcast and the article are on all the Sound Kitchen and English Club Facebook pages. You have until the 7th of June to get your answers in. Be sure to tune in on the 12th of June to see if your answer wins a prize. As always, be sure you include your postal address with your postal code. And don't forget to let me know if you are a miss, a miss, a missus, or a mister. I don't want to get it wrong. Send your quiz answers to english.service at rfi.fr. That's english.service at rfi.fr. You can also text your answer to the Sound Kitchen mobile phone. Dial plus 336-3112-9682. That's plus 336-3112-9682. Always include your postal mailing address, and if you have one, your RFI Club membership number.
हेलो आई एम अबू साइड यू आर लिस्निंग टू द साउंड किचन फॉर यू नेवर नो व्हाट वी वी सर्व Okay my friends it's time to clear the table and wash the dishes. Thanks for joining me in the sound kitchen and keep those cards, letters, emails and text messages coming. Many many thanks to our producing engineer Erwan Rome for his input and his expertise in mixing the show and thanks to you for listening. Be sure to tune in next Saturday for a special treat, an essay on the theme My Ordinary Hero, written by listener Ibiranke Abosedo Oyewole from Lagos, Nigeria. There's also music, a little late, but as they say better late than never, requested by Sultan Sarkar from Naugaland, Bangladesh for Eid al-Fitr, the celebration marking the end of Ramadan. The Sound Kitchen podcast is ready for you every Saturday on the RFI English website, rfienglish.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Susan Owensby. Be well, do good work, be kind, and stay in touch. And wear your masks. Be safe, my friends. And don't forget to send me your music requests. I'll play you out with music from Erwan, our producing engineer and a specialist in Cuban music. Since Erwan knows my daughter is named Matilde, he found this wonderful tune called, you guessed it, Matilda, performed by the Quarteto Daida. This group of four women singers with music director and pianist Aida Diestro at the helm were formed in 1952. They were a huge international success. They performed from Panama to Finland, and although there were multiple changes in the quartet over the years and Signora Diestro was long gone, there was a performance as late as 2006 and in 2007 an enormous tribute to the original four singers and their musical director Aida Diestro at the Teatro Amado Roldan in Havana. I obviously dedicate this to my little love, my daughter Matilde, who is 19 years old today. Feliz cumpleaños, mi corazón. And thanks again, Erwan. Talk to y'all next week.
Well, then.